you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 2. If you are worried about the state of the nations, the state of the world, the chaos and the hostility that we see in our day, in our age, well then this is a psalm that you need to plant deeply in your heart and in your soul because this is a psalm that can grant immense peace and even a confidence and a boldness to stand up for our Savior and for our faith in the midst of the hatred that we see surrounding us. So we're going to read this psalm, and we're also going to turn to Acts chapter 1 after that to connect it with uh, Ascension Day and our risen Lord. This is a day where we see um, our King being set in His place and reigning over all. So Psalm chapter 2, let's begin here in verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, and be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Now, if you'll turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. have the record of our Lord's ascension on high. We're going to begin in verse 4 here and read down to verse 11. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, 
will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Well, uh, beloved Church of God, I wonder if you've ever heard of the game King of the Hill. Uh, When I was uh, younger, this was not an uncommon way for me and my brothers to get out a little bit of energy. I grew up with two older brothers, and the basic premise of this game is that you would set aside um, either a hill or uh, sometimes when we'd go up to uh, the cottage, we would play on the dock this game. And the basic premise is that you you would have to throw off the other opponent's. And if you were able to, to throw off the other competitors uh, off of the dock or off of the hill, and you're the only one left standing on that hill or that dock, you were then deemed the king of the hill. Well, that's a good picture for what we got going on here in our text. As we see the nations, they are using all of their might. They're using all of their power. They are straining and they are striving to make themselves the king of the hill. But there's only one problem. God says in our text, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. He has already placed his king and anointed him as the one who will reign over all. And don't we see that here on Ascension Day where we come and we recognize that our Lord has ascended on high. And when he ascended on high, we hear that he sat down at the right hand of his Father. This Ascension Day is really the coronation day of our Lord of Lord and our King of Kings. He is reigning on high now. And that is good news for you and me because though the world may strive and strain and use all of their rage against our king, it will not budge him from his throne. And because he is seated there, we can have a confidence in this world and a peace that transcends the chaos that surrounds us. So we're going to look at this text in three ways. We're going to see... The senseless rage of the nations. Then we're going to look at the immovable king that we serve. And finally, we're going to end with the critical decision that this text is driving us to. So as you look at our text, you see that there is this senseless rage going on. The psalmist begins in a state of bewilderment. He says, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? He's confused. He's baffled. Do they know who they're going against? This is not just some other competitor. This is the king of kings. This is the all-powerful one, the all-knowing one. In other words, the nations do not stand a chance. As one commentator says, it is as if a fly should attack an elephant or a man endeavor to snatch the sun from the firmament. In other words, it is not going to work. It's not going to happen. Why would you go against him? Especially when we know that he is an all-loving king, an all-good king, an all-glorious king. Why would you go against him? Don't we have a bit of that same feeling as a psalmist has when we look at the nations, we look at the world around us, and we look at how vehemently they oppose him. Doesn't it put you in a state of bewilderment? Why are you going against this king? He's a good king. He's a loving king. 
Why do you want to go against him? It's a senseless rage. And we see that it's not just bewildering, but it's actually purposeful. Verse 2 tells us that this rage is not just because people are boiling over, but it's because it's directed against the Lord and against his anointed. They hate Christ. They hate our Lord. There's actually a contrast that is going on here. In Psalm chapter 1, you remember how it begins. It says, blessed is the man who meditates on God's word day and night. He's meditating on God's law, and he sees how it's good for him. He sees how it's bringing life to him. It's blessing him. Well, that word meditate is the same word that's used here in verse 1. The people plot a vain thing. They're meditating on what they can do to cast off God's law. You see that in verse 3. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. What are they saying? We don't want these laws over our lives. We don't want them reigning over our lives. We don't want your lordship. And they're trying to break that apart. They're trying to burst it. They hate it. And so where the righteous man, he, he comes to God's law and he delights in it. He sees the life in it. The world looks at God's law and they begin to squirm. It sends them in this boiling rage against the very one who has issued forth these laws. It's a bewildering rage. It's a purposeful rage. And it's a pervasive rage. It's the nations here that are doing this. There's no place in this world where you will not see this rage. This rage is everywhere. Because it's inherent in us. We were born with a sinful nature. We were born with a desire to make ourselves king. To want to rule over our lives. To do as we feel and do as we want. So this rage is not so unfamiliar to us, right? Because we also hear that the devil goes around like a roaring lion. He knows his time is short. And so he rages. It's an expression of the same rage that is in the devil himself that we see in the nations that are around us. But the good news is that this rage is futile. The nations plot in vain. It is not going to work. McLaren says that this rage is destined to break down from the very beginning. And it is as hopeless as if the stars were to combine together to abolish gravitation. It's not going to work. That's comforting for us as God's people, isn't it? Because we have that same bewilderment as we look at the world around us. Does it not baffle you? When you look at these billionaires like George Soros, like Bill Gates, and they're pouring millions, billions of dollars into things like Planned Parenthood, you're wondering why are they so bent against God's laws. You look at Netflix, you look at, at some of our Hollywood industry, you see the lewd lifestyles they're promoting and the things that they're putting in front of us in our television screens, and you're wondering what has made our world so dark, what's made it turn to such evil, lewd behavior time and time again. Well, this is explained here in our text. But the good news for us as believers is that we know that no matter how hostile the world around us becomes, no matter how much they rage, it is not going to come to any fruition. It cannot budge the King of Kings 
and the Lord of lords. And so Matthew Henry says, the moon will walk on in brightness, though the dogs bark at it. That's the second thing I want to talk about here today, is the immovable king that we have enthroned on high. We see the nations are in commotion, they are in chaos. Well, what is God doing? When our eyes are taken up to the heavens, do we see God pacing around in his royal throne room? Do we see him wringing his hands and moving beads of sweat as he's wondering, how in the world am I going to set my king in his place? No, we do not. Our Lord is seated in the heavens, and all that this world can do in all its rage is draw out a laugh from our God. And this is not a laugh of comedy. This is a laugh of scorn. You do not stand a chance against our God. He sits in the heavens and he laughs. Luther says all that the devil can do with all his minions is move God to laughter. All that they are striving to do to take God's down plan and to stop him from setting forth his king cannot come to pass and don't we see that here on ascension day that our lord is reigning on high never to be come down again and to be defeated by death to be to be taken down by his enemies no he reigns on high he is ruling on high he conquered death he conquered the grave he conquered sin and he's proven that our lord is reigning So though we see the power of the them of the nations, they're trying to set themselves against God. They're trying to overthrow him. When we compare that to the might of our God, how flimsy does it look? And so God comes and he says that he has set his king. This is a past tense. I have placed my king. I've determined who that will be. And he says, I'm going to make it known. I'm going to tell this decree. I'm going to let everyone know who the king is. And who is it? Well, God says, today I have begotten you. It's his son. You are my son. If you look at the book of Romans, Romans chapters 1 verse 6, it tells us that when Jesus rose again from the dead, he was declared to be the son of God with power. God was letting the nations know, this is my son. You want proof? Here is one who can uh, die and yet raise himself once again. He was declared to be the son of God. That that means he he was shouted out. Everyone knew at that moment, truly, truly, this must be the son of God. Who has the power to take life back up in himself? It is our Lord. Well, the things I studied when I was in my classics degree is, is uh, the, the Spartans. And uh, they were a Greek, uh, Greek uh, tribe that uh, were quite known for their warrior skills. And one of the stories I liked so much was the story of how the Spartans almost stopped a whole entire Persian invasion with only 300 men. They stood in this gap and they defended this gap and they stopped wave after wave of a countless multitude of an army that were coming against them. It's quite a heroic scene, isn't it? 300 men against thousands of Persians. Yet here in our psalm, we have uh, all of the nations coming together. In all of their power, in all of their might, 
And what does God do? Does he muster up a multitude of angels? Does he muster up as many as he can get from his church? No, he says, I have set my king. He puts forward his king and he says, this is the one that will reign. This is the one that will conquer and no one can stop. And when we get this truth as believers and we understand the power of it, it puts a boldness in our hearts. And you see that exactly happening in Acts chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I want to read a little section from uh, Acts chapter 4. When the disciples are going out and they're preaching the gospel, we see the the priests and uh, rulers trying to stop them, trying to shut them down. And they continue on by referring back to this psalm. And it gives them a confidence and a boldness to continue to preach the name of Jesus. So I want to begin here in verse 18 with the people calling them forward to give an answer for what they're doing. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. This is chapter 4 verse 18. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over forty years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, and here he quotes from Psalm 2, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, They may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. You see what they did. They said, we see these these people trying to stop us from speaking the name of Jesus, but they went back and they reminded themselves that's exactly what was predicted in Psalm 2. And we saw that come to pass with our own Lord and Savior, the chief priests and the elders. They conspired against him. And they even put him to death on a cross. And yet, Lord, we see that that was all part of your plan. That didn't stop your decree. That didn't stop him from becoming king of all. That was all part of your plan. And so now, Lord, we are facing similar opposition. We are facing similar threats from the world around us. And we pray that we would have the same boldness that Jesus had. Because we know this is part of your plan. We know that you are the one that is reigning in spite of all of these things. And so we pray that you would look on their threats and that you would grant us a boldness. To live in that peace that that we know our King of Kings reigns. 
And that we want to obey him and serve him and be ambassadors of him above all and before all. And so we'll go out into this world. We'll continue to declare your gospel. We'll continue to do signs and wonders that more and more would see. And more and more would meet our King and our Savior in his mercy rather than in his wrath. You see how emboldening this truth is. You look at the lower half of the equation. You look at what's going on in the world. And you see all chaos, all tumult, all rage. Yet we set our minds on the one who is seated in the heavens. And that perfect, unflinching repose of our God ought to be a source of immense peace for us. Our Lord has ascended. And when we look on this world, our thoughts are going to be caught up in the rage and the hysteria. But when we look at where he is, then our thoughts can ascend and we can have the peace that he has. Ephesians 4 says, Consider yourselves seated in the heavenly places. Consider yourselves seated with your Lord, there with your Lord. When we have that mentality, then there's a peace that begins to settle in our souls. Last thing I want to look with you at in this text is the critical decision that has to be made. You see, as you look at this text, you see a warning and you see a blessing. And perhaps the surprising thing is that in this text, what all the nations can do with all their rage doesn't even deserve the merit of a threat. You see, the real threat doesn't come from a whole world that is raging against God. The real threat comes from God to this raging world. And that's what we see in our text. As you look at verse 4 and 5, God gives them a threat. It says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. And he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. As Matthew Henry said, the God who designed this world with a word, made the stars in the heavens with a word, that same God who made everything you see with a word has a power to undo you in a word. The Lord, all he has to do to confront these hostile nations is speak. He speaks to them in his wrath, and they're done. So to get this graphic image of verse 9 of his capabilities, he says, You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. All that the nations are before this mighty king you serve is like a china pot. And God says he can dash it against a wall at any time. That's how powerful he is. In Revelation, we hear of how he deals with the Antichrist who deceives so many. You know how he eliminates the Antichrist? With a breath. Our Lord is so much more powerful. And that warning is here in our passage to get us to the place of verse 12. If you look at that very end verse, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. God shows the capabilities of his wrath, the capabilities of his power, so that we run to him for refuge. As Calvin says, 
here in this final verse is a sanctuary of hope that is opened up so that we might flee there. The only refuge, the only safety, the only bunker that you can go to, that you can find yourself protected, is in God himself. You run to Jesus, you believe in Jesus, and you can be protected from his wrath. And you can know the peace and security and joy of having this king on your very throne. The throne of your heart. And he wants to rule in that way. He wants to rule in his love. That is why our Lord has not returned yet. The reason is not because he's waiting for a perfect time where he can come back. And, and, and it's just everything's working out in, in, in the right order that he can actually dominate this world. It's not even going to be a battle when he returns. The reason our Lord has not returned is because now is a time of mercy. Now is a time where he is pleading with the nations. Come kiss the Son. Come kiss the one who is enthroned in glory. And you can know him as your Savior. Because this is not how we saw our Lord the first time when he walked this earth. When he came to this earth, he was healing the sick. He was healing the lame. He was healing the blind. He was bringing the good news of the gospel. He was showing love. He was showing mercy. And he continues to do that through his apostles. We saw that in Acts chapter 4 as they are performing signs and wonders. He's continuing to do that even in our own day. He's continuing to show his mercy. He's continuing to show his patience. There's a time when that will end. And right now is a time where we as the people of God get an opportunity to plead with this world. Come and kiss the Son. Come before the one who is enthroned in glory. And you can know his forgiveness. And you can know his mercy. A beautiful story in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. There's a discussion between Susan and Beaver about this, this lion that they serve. I just want to bring that discussion up before us. Susan or Beaver says to Susan, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. We often get that picture of Jesus, right? Jesus meek and mild, and that's true. I love C.S. Lewis's depiction of Christ there as a lion. Because there's also the truth that he is so powerful that even if all the world teams up against him, they don't stand a chance in a battle against our Savior. He's that powerful. So we're called to come under the sun. We're called to have his peace and his refuge and say, that's my king on the hill. And that's the one I serve. And when you do that, He lifts you up, and he makes you all kings and queens in his service. He's a good king. Revelation 17, 14 pictures our Lord coming back on the clouds, and it says these words. It says, they will make war against the Lamb. And that tells you that the rage that you saw at the beginning, the rage that you see around you now, it will continue on to the very end. They will make war against the Lamb because they hate Christ. They hate the anointed one. But it goes on to say, but the Lamb will triumph over them. He will win because he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And he will be accompanied 
by his called and chosen and faithful ones. Isn't that beautiful? When our king returns on the clouds, he'll be accompanied by all of you who believed him and said, that's my king. That's where I want to leave you today as we focus on the ascension of our Lord, the one reigning on high, to rejoice in the truth that that is the king I serve. It's just a short excerpt from a sermon that I wanted to read from you that beautifully describes the king that we serve. And I want to bring you to a place where you're just rejoicing in the refuge that you have in him. It's a beautiful sermon, by the way. If you get time, I'd recommend you look it up. But here are the words of this, of this excerpt. It says these words. The Bible says that Christ is a seven-way king. He is the king of the Jews. And that's a racial king. He is the king of Israel. That's a national king. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of the ages. He is the king of heaven. He is the king of glory. He is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? He is enduringly strong. He is entirely sincere. He is eternally steadfast. He is immortally graceful. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. That's my king. He is God's son. And he is a sinner's savior. He is the centerpiece of civilization. And he stands alone in himself. Well, I wish I could describe him to you. But he is indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He is invincible. He is irresistible. I am trying to tell you that the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explain him. And you can't get him out of your mind, and you can't get him off of your hands. You can't live without him, and you can't outlive him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. The grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. That's my king. Is he yours? Is he yours? I hope you come to a place today where you behold this ascended king. The heavens are peeled back and you say, there he is, high and lifted up. That's my king. He is ruling and he is reigning. Therefore, I have a peace that is in my soul and a boldness to go out and say to the nations, come and kiss the son. Come know my savior and my Lord. I hope you say with the words of Joshua, as for me, right? As for me. I know who my king is. I know who my Lord is. And that's where I'm going to find refuge. That's where I'm going to find peace. With that, let's go before our Lord and thank him for the king who reigns.